Prayer on my behalf is always our desire for it to be edifying and, and build you up in the faith. Last time we spoke, we started talking about some of the interactions of Jesus and uh, kind of a desire to look at the life of Jesus and how he interacted with other human beings and how we can really learn to be more Christ-like in our interactions with our fellow man and uh, the things that we do on a daily basis and how we treat people and uh, the things that we say and the way that we respond to people. And we want to continue that today. Last time we talked about compassion and the story of the Good Samaritan and how Jesus made compassion very much of a salvation issue as those people challenged him there, what they needed to do to have eternal life. And he said, you got to love your neighbor. And he, he described that story there. So this morning we want to move on from compassion and talk a little bit about mercy. And I'd like you to kind of toss around in your head this morning, especially as we start here. Certainly we're going to try to demonstrate the difference, but what's the difference in mercy and compassion? Something I hadn't really thought about until I started digging into these interactions and uh, really kind of become something that's a little bit of a challenge to define the difference in those. There's some, there's some kind of fine lines there and there's some nuance to that, but think about that this morning. What's the difference in mercy and compassion? I'd like you to Think about that as we get started, and maybe you have a good grab of, uh, grasp of that already. Maybe you don't. Maybe you kind of see them as the same thing, and hopefully we'll kind of help show what the difference um, in those two things are this morning. Mercy, as we start to take a look at it in the Scriptures, generally looked at kind of in two different ways. The first being kind of a human-to-human interaction. So, when Jesus is starting out in his ministry and he's visiting all these different places and he's going around and helping people and healing diseases and helping people that are sick or people that had loved ones lost and things like that. So there's kind of a, a physical component to it. And then there's a spiritual component to, to this idea of mercy that's kind of obvious for us this morning as we receive God's mercy as Christians. And that's kind of the two different Two different ways that it's talked about in the Scriptures, and I hope this morning that we can kind of look at both of those and kind of marry those up and how they kind of work together, and I hope that you'll be benefited by the, by the study this morning. So what is the difference in mercy and compassion? You know, the story we read last time, we find in Luke chapter 10, that this Good Samaritan, it actually sort of describes the difference in this in and of itself. The first part of that is there. Talking to him, Jesus starts to tell the story. He says that this Samaritan man came across this guy that had been beaten and laid on the side of the road and said he had compassion on him. And then you go through the rest of the story and you drop down, and Jesus said, okay, so after all of this, these people asking these questions, which one of these men ended up being this guy's neighbor? And they responded to him, well, the one that showed the guy mercy. The one that showed mercy on this guy is who was his neighbor. And Jesus said, you're right, go and, go and do that. You guys do that too. And so he kind of defines that there. If you look at um, kind of some of the Greek stuff, mercy and compassion, you start digging into the Greek of that. And I said it last time, I'm not the guy to dig into Greek, but you kind of have to on some of this if you really want to kind of thread the needle on what the differences are. But the, the, the word compassion here as it's used is very much an, a word that's describing an attitude or a feeling or a kind of a yearning in the bowels. It's this deep emotion that you get for a fellow human being. You see the condition of another person or another, um, another human, and it, and it draws on your emotions, and it, and it burns inside of you. The word mercy in the second part of this is a much more active definition. 
You, you look at a lot of this Greek, and they, the words are used even a little bit interchangeably in the definitions. Sometimes he'll, the definition of mercy will be compassion, or he'll kind of use merciful. It'll, it's kind of the whole use the de- definition, use the word to define itself kind of deal, and you kind of start to bang your head on the, on the ground if you're like me, and you don't, you're not okay with those kind of definitions. But in the second part of this, when he, when he moves into the merciful side of this, it's a much, much more actionable concept. And we talked about that last time, how that a true compassion ultimately produces action. And mercy is the actionable part of compassion. And I hope to demonstrate that to you this morning. But as you look at it, it's described, that, that Greek word, it talks about this, this goodwill towards men, but it says paired with or married with or joined with a desire to actually help somebody. So it's not just, you know, I'm really sorry that you're in this condition. You know, I'm sorry that you were beaten and robbed and laid on the side of the road. I hope things get better for you. It's a no, I picked this person up and I set him on my beast and I took him to the inn and I paid for him his wounds to be dressed and I paid for him lodging and I said, if, if I owe you anything after this, if it costs more than what I paid you, I'll take care of it when I return. It produces an action in us on the human condition. And so I think that story actually kind of gives us a good feel for what the difference in the two actually are. Compassion is what really urges us and and compels us to have that feeling toward another human being, and then mercy is what what we produce because of that. And really and truly... Without mercy, compassion is somewhat worthless. I can, I can feel for somebody all I want, but if I'm not willing and able to extend mercy to them, what value does it have at the end of the day? It produces no actual value. Suppose a friend of yours falls into some trouble financially for whatever reason and comes to you and says, hey, I, you know, I want to tell you about what's going on. We're really struggling. I need $10,000. Now, maybe you can freely give $10,000 to him, but for, for many of us, that would be a challenge to do. If I have a friend that comes to me and says, I need $100,000, maybe that's a better number. That's a number that would be much more difficult for a big number of people to come up with. Hey, I, I got in some real trouble. I need $100,000, and here's what happened, and I'm, you know, maybe I made some mistakes, but I'm kind of innocent in this, and we just had a hard time. I can develop a deep yearning in my heart for that person. I can feel for their situation, and I cannot give them $100,000. I cannot extend mercy to them. There's nothing I can do about it. And so my compassion at that point, while it's good that I feel that way, it's kind of worthless to that person. And that's kind of a little bit of a silly example, but I hope it'll get you to kind of thinking about where we're going with this this morning and what we're, what we're wanting to th- to kind of demonstrate here with the scriptures. I read an article by a lady who said it this way, compassion feels the need, F-E-E-L-S, and mercy feels the need, F-I-L-L-S. And that's a little bit cliche-ish or catchphrase but I thought it was a good way to describe this and kind of help us think about this. Mercy is what actually produces the action that takes care of the need. And so while we should be a compassionate people and have a desire and a and a yearning to help fellow human beings that have problems and troubles, we've got to be actionable in that. We've got to be able and willing to extend mercy to them. Jesus thought enough about this that as he's listing this whole series of things in Matthew chapter 5 that we call the Beatitudes now, all of these blessed art thou's, he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Again, very much like in Luke chapter 10, the Greek side of this 
when you look at the first part, blessed are the merciful, here's the frustrating definition. Merciful means to be merciful. It means to be compassionate. Blessed are those that are merciful. Blessed are the people that have an attitude where they feel for their fellow human beings because they will receive mercy. And look at the difference here. You still see all these words, compassion, compassion, mercy, mercy. But look, every single time here, it's married with action. It's active. Mercy is something that's active. Blessed are the merciful. People that have a merciful spirit, if you want to receive the mercy, if you want something extended to you, if you want action taken on you, you've got to be merciful. And we've got to develop a Christ-like attitude in that when, that allows us to take action on this stuff. Let's take a quick look at some examples. If you read all throughout the Gospels, this, is, this isn't a third of them. All throughout the Gospels, if you look at these interactions Jesus had with these people, we talked about it a little bit last time. A lot of, a lot of the scenarios, it'll say um, Jesus had compassion on them. But if you look at it from the perspective of the people that he was interacting with, a lot of the times, they're crying out to him. All of these different examples, Matthew chapter 9 there's these two blind men following him, and they say, Have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew chapter 15, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Matthew chapter 17, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. All of this human suffering, and these people recognize and reach out to the master. The rich man in Lazarus, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. When that guy recognized his own condition... He cried out for mercy, knowing in his case it was too late. You even had one scenario where these men cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him. They told the guy to shut up, quit calling out to Jesus. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And I think it's a critical thing for us to recognize and understand that the idea of mercy is strongly married to the idea of somebody that can't help themselves. You think about this man laying on the side of the road. The Good Samaritan helped. This is a guy that was beaten. We don't know if he was conscious or unconscious, but he was clearly in a poor condition. And all of these scenarios in the Scriptures, when mercy is presented, it's presented about somebody that cannot help themselves, whether you're talking physically or spiritually. And I think it's really critical us for, for us to think about the idea that people cannot help themselves. And, you know, it's kind of spoiler alert, but we're going to get to the point where we're going to talk about the, the definition and the recognition of the fact that related to our own sin problems, we've got to get to that point ourselves. We've got to get to the point where we're willing to cry out for help because we can't help ourselves with that. And all these people cried out for it, and in all these cases, that mercy was extended to him. When you look at the... Uh, the scriptures, it's pretty interesting to me when you look back, anytime it's kind of a human-to-human interaction and mercy's talked about, it's almost always about a physical ailment or a physical condition. But then you have the writers like Paul and Peter and James, those guys that, that look back and talk about mercy, then it gets transitioned over to the spiritual. And I think there's a really interesting link and a tie between the physical and spiritual. And I believe, obviously, Jesus is trying to teach us about the spiritual through the physical. And there may be no better means of evangelism than to help a human that's in a poor condition. If you think about all the different ways we talk about evangelizing and how we go help the lost and 
The gospel's got to be right at the center of it. But you can walk up and preach the gospel to people till you're blue in the face. And like they say, if you don't care about those people, it's not going to have any effect on them. And mercy may be the most important factor in being able to do that very thing. Let's look at an example, I think, that does a really good job of bridging the idea of physical mercy to spiritual mercy in John chapter 8. The Pharisees here, like they did many times, tried to challenge and test Jesus. It says here that they brought a woman to him that had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now, obviously their motives, the scribes and Pharisees have ulterior motives having these conversations, but it's nonetheless it's still an interesting and challenging conversation for us to think about. As far as we can tell by the Scriptures, nobody denied the fact that this woman was caught in adultery. The woman didn't deny it, at least in the story that we're counting here. So I think for the sake of discussion, we can assume that this is all true, that she was actually caught in adultery. So they went to the law and said, hey, the, the law says she needs to be stoned. What do you say about that? And I think this is a a really good time and a good example of where Jesus really shows us how he demonstrates and exercises mercy in a situation. So the story goes on, says they set it to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. They were obviously trying to trap him. So Jesus bent down and wrote in the ground with his finger. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. I thought that part's kind of funny, the older ones. It's sort of like we get up in age and you start to see the pride kind of starts to not look like it did when you were 20. And you, you recognize, okay, he just probably hit me right in the gut with this one. So it calls out here the older ones were the ones that walk away first. I guess they swallowed their pride first. But So Jesus... They were left alone here, and Jesus stood up after they were all gone, and he said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go on, and from now, sin no more. I want to ask you, what would you have voted for as a result of this situation? Now, it's it's easy for us to look back on it here and and, and say, yeah, we would have handled it like Jesus. But let's, let's really have a discussion about the human condition this morning. How do we want situations like this to be handled? I would argue many times that we're raising our hands saying, throw the rocks. We want to see people get what they deserve. We want true judgment cast. We want people that do these types of things to get what they have coming to them. And maybe even within the church sometimes. Maybe you think about a similar situation that happens in the church sometimes. Now, we're not going to stand up and stone people, but how are we going to view somebody that was caught in adultery? How are we going to view somebody that has an unwanted pregnancy outside of marriage? Things like that. We develop these labels, especially around certain sin patterns and certain things that happen, and then we want to label them that way. We want want those labels to stick. We want those people to own those labels so that we can say, this person, this is what happened to them. Would we have handled it like Jesus? I think it's a really fascinating Scenario, And I think it's one of the things that makes this really challenging is we don't like gray areas. We want, we want stuff laid out for us exactly how to handle it. I don't know if you're like me on that, but I like playbooks or procedures. You know, I want to be able to go to something and say, this is how you should react in a situation. And the truth is, mercy is the exact opposite of that. 
Mercy doesn't have a playbook many times. And I think, really, in this case, Jesus took something that appeared to be black and white. They said, look, the law says we stone her. And he kind of made it into a gray area. He kind of made it into a judgment situation where you have to think about, what's the right thing to do here? And ultimately, you think about his motive. Remember, he said, I'm come to seek and save the lost. His motive was to help this woman. His woman was to have her correct her behavior. And I think it's safe to say the Pharisees didn't have that kind of motive. I think they had no care for her condition at that time. I mean, they were ready to kill her, you know, at the expense of the law. We're doing, we're taking care of the law. You know, we're being really good people like God wants us to be. See how challenging it is? There's nuance to this. It's, it's, there's intricacies in this whole how and when do you apply mercy. And it's not something that we can go get the playbook for or the procedure for. And we got to have our heart in the right place. we got to have our heart toward seeking and saving the lost. And it's important for us to recognize. It's important for us to recognize in order to receive mercy. And it's important to recognize if we're going to extend it to others. So this interaction where he introduces this kind of gray area leads to something that I think is really important that the Scriptures talk about, and that's the idea of desiring mercy instead of sacrifice. It's talked about here in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 10. Another example about Jesus says, He reclined at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher... Eat with tax collectors and sinners. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's a pretty interesting statement, isn't it? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Have you ever heard that term before? It's used in several places in the Scriptures. We're going to read them here this morning. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What is Jesus trying to tell them there? I think a lot of uh, the more modern type discussions in modern Christianity that center around the idea of legalism, you know, there's a lot of that talked about today. What's, well, you guys are just being legalistic. I think they take passages like this and kind of put a stake in the ground saying, see, Jesus wasn't really wanting you to be legalistic. Was he trying to teach them here to not care about sinful behavior? Was he trying to teach them that, that you know, you should just go hang out with sinful people and people that are doing all sorts of things. You see what he says? They that are holy not... His whole motive was to save them. His whole motive was to correct their spiritual condition. And they really had a hard time wrestling with this. And I think many times the way we act, we struggle with that as well. Here's another passage that I think maybe illustrates the point a little better. Matthew chapter 23. He said, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So here's the part that it breaks down for the people that are crying legalism because they want to neglect the others. That's their whole purpose of arguing legalism is so they can justify some lack of doing God's command or some sinful behavior or whatever. So the legalism discussion goes out the window. That's not what he's trying to do. He's not trying to okay whatever we want to do here. That's not the point. But I think it is important for us to recognize that Jesus said there's weightier matters to the law. And that's hard for somebody like me that wants to say all of God's commandments are important because all of God's commandments are important. But Jesus said there's weightier matters to the law. Was he saying 
Don't tithe the dill and the mint and the cumin. He wasn't saying that. He said you shouldn't have neglected that. But you gave no credit to judgment and mercy and faithfulness, the weightier matters of the law. You see how it's hard to apply some of this stuff sometimes? It's judgment and mercy, the things that you had to think about. Here's a, I try to come up with kind of a good hypothetical situation, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of hypotheticals because I think that's what the Pharisees were always doing to Jesus is hypotheticals the best they could to try to trap him. But in this case, to, tr- to really try to grasp this idea of desiring mercy over sacrifice, this is what I came up with. Say you're on the way to church this morning and you decide to run into the convenience store to get a pack of gum before church, and you go in and this woman comes in, and you can tell she's frantic and struggling. She looks disheveled, and especially on a day like today, she says, hey, I'm, my car's outside, and I had a blowout, and I have no idea how to fix that tire, and my three kids are inside, and they're screaming, and I've had a bad week, and we can't pay the bills, and they cut off my electricity, Brad and them, those evil guys over at the energy company, and she's just a wreck. Now, it's 10.15 on Sunday morning. We're on our way to church. If I go out and help this lady fix her flat tire, I'm missing church this morning. It's a little bit of a silly example, I understand, but I can tell you in my lifetime, I have heard conversations where people would have been criticized if they would have missed church for going out and changing that tire. I've heard people in the church carry attitudes about things like that that would have criticized for helping that woman. Would Jesus be proud of us if we would have told that woman, I've got to get to church this morning, that's the most important thing to me? God is the most important thing in my life. I can't miss church. You know, we'll come back by here after church and see if you're still here, and then we can help you with your tire, but we're, gonna, we're not going to miss the assembly this morning. Would Jesus be proud of me for that? Or would he, say, would he say I neglected the weightier matters of the law? What about this woman? What is my view of this woman's human condition? What is my view of this woman's spiritual condition? What if I take time out of my schedule to show my kids that the human condition matters and they see me go out in the snow and the wind and maybe I'm in my church clothes and I'm not prepared with a tire wrench and an impact wrench and a a good jack and all that kind of stuff and we have to deal with whatever's in her car or whatever's not in her car and get this tire changed and get her a new tire. What if it takes our whole morning? What if it takes our whole day and I don't get to watch the Super Bowl this evening because we have to help this woman? What's the right example there? And I hope, again, that's hypothetical, and I don't love hypotheticals, but maybe that'll help you think about what we're trying to, to demonstrate with the Scriptures this morning. Who cares if we're writing our check every Sunday morning and we give the most of the congregation if we're neglecting the weightier matters of the law and we're not merciful and we don't think about that and extend that to other human beings? James restated this exact phrase in James chapter 2. Now, he's having a discussion here about showing partiality to other people. And he says, you know what, you know, if the guy comes in the door in the fine clothes and dressed nice and his hair's fixed good and all that, and you say, here, you come, you come have a seat on the front, you're our guest today. But then the homeless person walks in the door and stinks and, you know, hasn't changed clothes in two years and holes all in him and everything, and you shove them on the back row, the partiality that you show there, he's having a discussion like that here. And he says, if you really fulfill the law according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin or convicted by the law as transgressors. 
For whosoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's, it's hard to think about. Well, what's the, what are the examples of that? And it's difficult. It's challenging for us with our feeble minds to figure out when the right time to apply that is. But see how he applies it to partiality here? Don't. You've all messed up. You say, yeah, I'm not committing adultery, but you kill a guy, you're still guilty of the law. You still failed. Trevor said in his talking to the brotherhood, I mean, we were all ex-somethings. We all had something wrong. So if we're sitting here and just taking our high horse to judgment and not willing to extend mercy, we all got issues that can be pointed out. We're all guilty of the law. Mercy comes into play. Let's take a look at one final example here on this desiring mercy point. And I, I, I know I'm a little bit beating the horse on this, but I think it's a really challenging thing for us to, to grasp and a more challenging thing for us to implement. And so I want us to really think about this. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So he gives this scenario where the disciples were eating on the Sabbath, and, and I guess the real transgression there, at least in the eyes of the Pharisees, was that they were doing the work to, to harvest the food, to pluck the grain. And so they challenge him on that. And, you know, he reminds them of some example. He talks about this example with David, but then he talks about the priest too. So these, these Pharisees who take these priests and set them on these pinnacles on these thrones, and they're done wrong. He's like, they're, they're not guiltless. They're profaning the temple itself on the Sabbath. You see how their judgment is skewed? They're, the things that are their view of what God's righteousness is, their view of what's okay to God and how they should keep God's will, all that becomes skewed. And he said, if you knew what this mercy over sacrifice, if you knew what that meant, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath even. See, we got to use judgment and reasoning, and we got to do our best. And the key is we got to understand our motives. Our motive shouldn't be, yeah, let's, let's see her get what she deserves. Let's see the woman stoned so she gets what she deserves. Let me ask you the question a different way. Would you rather see the woman caught in adultery who was clearly guilty? You know, let's say in our times, evidence is super clear. Somebody does it, convicted of the crime, the death penalty is a perfectly legal thing to do. They're deserving of the death penalty. Would you rather see that person die or would you rather see them go to heaven? Would you rather see the woman caught in adultery stoned according to the law so we can carry out God's will or would you rather see her have the opportunity to go to heaven? 
I think the answer is Jesus wanted her to go to heaven, and he extended mercy to her. He didn't condone the behavior. He didn't say, this is good what you're doing. Matter of fact, he told her, go and sin no more. But there's a difference in sympathy and empathy in condoning the behavior. He was empathetic to the human condition. And he knew the motives of the people that were challenging him here too. That was at play in this scenario too. So hopefully we can kind of start to understand some of these intricacies and that there's some nuance to it. It's a challenging thing to do. I think for us to really be able to start to think about mercy like Jesus did and, and really start to apply it, there's one critical thing that we have to come to grasp with, and that is the link between mercy and forgiveness. And the Scriptures are clear that that link exists, that there is a strong link between mercy and forgiveness. The psalmist called out, said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Do you see the cry? Like the men and women that cried out for the son of David because they knew they were helpless, David himself knew that he was helpless, and that was his cry. He knew that there was a link between his forgiveness and God showing mercy on him. And that same link exists for us today. No matter what good work we do or good action we do, it's not good enough. It's described like this in Titus chapter 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, he's talking about the church. Does that sound like a group of people that have received mercy? It sure does to me. All the blessings that are described here and all the goodness that is described because of God's mercy. He granted his mercy toward us. No other reason. There's nothing that any of us could do that's good enough except we have a merciful God. And I think for us to be merciful like the Master, we've got to understand this and realize how much that gift has been given to us. If we're going to extend it to another human being, we have to realize in how much we owe, how much we're in debt to him for his mercy, how much that mercy has produced benefits in our life. And then we'll start to care about those that are sick and we'll start to exercise mercy because we know we've received more. There's one final thing that we should think about, and, I, and, it, and again, this is kind of the un, unintuitive side of this whole thing, but that is the fact that mercy can be obtained. And the Scriptures talk about that. We're going to read a couple of examples here. Think about the examples that we read when we listed up here, and I know they were small and um, wasn't really designed to be able to see all those, but I just want to show you how many there are of people crying out to Jesus for mercy. And when they did that, it was a group of people that had no ability to help themselves, conditions that were, in many cases, fatal, at, a, at the very minimum, very dire um, situations. But they all still cried out for help. And I think it's interesting to think about what would Jesus have done for those people in those examples we read where he helped them? What would he have done if they had not cried out for help? Have you ever thought about that? 
You know, we talk a lot about um, forgiveness and salvation and many of those core issues being conditional. And I think it's fairly safe to say that mercy, in a lot of ways, has some conditional aspects to it as well. You have to cry out for it. God's been merciful to mankind. Is that fair to make a blanket statement? I think that's a fair statement. He sent His only Son, after all. Does everyone obtain that mercy? These examples we just read, he's talking about the church. He's talking about Christians, the people that enjoy all these blessings that we just read. He's talking about Christians. Did Jesus Jesus help and cure every single person that he came across that had some sort of physical ailment or disease or troubling condition? I don't know if we can neither prove nor disprove that with the Scriptures, but I suspect that he didn't. But we know that when people cried out that they received help. We know that. We read that in the Scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse number 9, he says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See the link between mercy and forgiveness? Mercy in the church, mercy in being one of God's people. And all of the things he describes that, are we worthy of that? A chosen race, a royal priesthood? Are any of us worthy of that? By the mercy of God we are. That's how he describes it. When you become a child of God, you receive that mercy. And it's something that should be celebrated and we should be thankful for and grateful for. And it's something that should cause us to have a merciful attitude toward our fellow human. And the good news is that it all comes back to Jesus. Jason's talking a lot about Hebrews lately and even about Jesus being the high priest, this section in Hebrews chapter 4. How he talks about, just think about the words that he uses. He's not a high priest that, can, that can't sympathize with our weaknesses. Matter of fact, he can. In every respect, he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knows the stuff we're going through. So because of that, let's draw with confidence. Let's draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. See, it can be obtained. It's something that can be obtained because we have this high priest. If you haven't heard all that, go back and listen to Jason's stuff on Hebrews. What Jesus does for us as our high priest. But know that because of the high priest that he is, we can have confidence in drawing near to God, and because of that, we can obtain mercy. There's one passage as we close this morning in Ephesians chapter 2 I want us to read, and I think this kind of summarizes and and brings all of this full full circle. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming of the ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What's the product of that mercy? As Christians, what does that do for us? Well, he saved us. It says that. Even when we were dead in our sins, even when we were worthless and miserable, sinful people separated from our God, he was rich in mercy toward us. But because of that, what does he do? He shows us these immeasurable riches in grace. Have you ever experienced that in the church? It doesn't take long to be a member of the church before you see that in some form. And it just happens over and over again, all because of his great mercy. 
And I hope we'll be more like the master this morning, that we'll be a merciful people, that we'll have a compassion that desires us to think about the human condition, to think about others. Think about them when we're exercising judgment, when we're exercising decision-making and how we interact with those people and what we do to them and what's our, what's our goal to do to them. Do we want them to see what they deserve or do we want them to go to heaven? If you're here this morning, I hope that this is beneficial to you and I hope if you're here and you need, you have any need for God's mercy this morning that you understand that he has been rich in his mercy, that he overflows with it and that it's available to every one of us and that you can obtain that this morning. If you have any need this morning that the church can help you with, we hope to do that this morning and help, help you get in contact with the mercy of God. If you need to become a member of the church or if you have any other need that we can help you with, come and make those wishes known as we sing this invitation song.